As usual, I will start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. You may join if you wish. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambodhasa. So tonight's talk is about Appamada, diligence or heedfulness. During your meditation career, you have heard many Dhamma talks about many different topics. Some of these Dhamma talks may have been very specific in regard to the practice of meditation. Other talks may have been more general about the Buddha's teaching. So talks like about the four foundations of mindfulness, or about the five spiritual faculties, or about the four noble truths, or the seven factor of awakenings, or maybe the ten paramis, or the six of this and the nine of that. And so for people who are not yet so familiar with the Buddha's teaching, this can be rather confusing and then they easily mix up the five of these and the seven of that and the nine of so and so. The Buddha could be very detailed and give long explanations, but on the other hand, he could also be very short and precise. Like in this case, King Pasenadi of Kosala was a disciple of the Buddha and he had great respect for the Buddha. So one day uh, he went out to where the Buddha was to ask a question. And it is said that sometimes the king went out to see the Buddha up to three times a day. So this time, the king had this question. He asked the Buddha, Venerable Sir, is there one thing which secures both kinds of good, the good pertaining to the present life and that pertaining to the future life? And the Buddha said, O great king, there is one thing which secures both kinds of good, the good pertaining to the present life and that pertaining to the future life. And then the king wanted to know, but what is this one thing? And the Buddha said, diligence, O great king. So diligence or heedfulness are possible translations 
for the Pali word Appamada. And this Pali word Appamada comes from the word Pamada. And that means negligence or heedlessness. But Pamada can also be translated or understood as absent-minded or careless or unmindful, thoughtless, inattentive, even as lax or sloppy. So Appamada, that's the opposite of Pamada. And as such, it is usually translated as diligence or heedfulness. But it can also be translated or understood as to be careful, to be alert, to be attentive, to be thorough, or to be vigilant. It can be said that all the teachings of the Buddha are contained in Appamada, or we can say that Appamada diligence covers all the three baskets of the Buddha's teaching. So whatever the Buddha taught, wherever the Buddha taught, to whomever the Buddha gave teachings, it always boiled down to Appamada. Don't be negligent. Don't be careless. Don't be heedless. Or be diligent. Be careful. Be attentive. Milarepa was a great yogi and poet many centuries ago in Tibet. He's very much revered. And he had disciples, and his main disciple was Gampopa. And so he gave this advice to Gampopa. There is no teaching more profound than this. Realization comes through the diligent and careful practice of meditation. So, Appamada, this doesn't mean to practice with teeth clenched together or to tense up. It's not... done by overexerting. With Appamada, with diligence, we do not approach something carelessly, but we do it wholeheartedly, and we do it with all of our being. With Appamada, with diligence, we do not give up, we are determined to carry on and to continue. Like this woman from 
South Korea. I read about her a few years ago in a newspaper. And there it says that she passed the theoretical test for her driver's license after sitting this test for 950 times. <laughs> this 68-year-old woman went to sit for this test for almost three years. After she finally passed the test, she said, I feel ashamed to fail the test so many times, but I simply could not give up. So that's not giving up diligence. <clears throat> yes, this is diligence, Appamada. Not to give up, to continue untiringly and unflaggingly. Not to be negligent. When I started to learn Burmese, to become familiar with the Dhamma vocabulary, I went to sit in uh, with the Burmese yogis when they went for interview. And one Sayadaw who was giving the interviews to the Burmese uh, women, very often when they had finished their report, he simply said, Eda sent me continue in this way. So, be diligent. Do not give up. Continue. So to illustrate the wide and deep meaning of diligence, the Buddha used an analogy of footprints, like the footprints of humans, footprints of horses, footprints of elephants or cows. And among all these different footprints, the footprint of the elephant is the biggest one in size. All the other footprints fit into the footprint uh, of an elephant. And so likewise, the Buddha said, all wholesome qualities, all kusala dhamma, they are based in and rooted on diligence. Based in apamada, rooted on apamada. So saying apamada is foremost in all wholesome qualities. And this is what the Buddha said. Just as the footprints of all legged animals are encompassed by the footprint of the elephant, and the elephant's footprint is reckoned the foremost among them in terms of size, in the same way, all wholesome qualities are rooted in diligence, converge in diligence, and diligence is reckoned the foremost among them.
a sentence that the Buddha used very often was Appamadena Sampadeta, which means strive on with diligence or continue diligently. After the Buddha had become the Buddha, he lived for another 45 years during which he taught the Dhamma. And during these 45 years of teaching, he gave many different teachings on many different subjects, but he did not let go by one day without reminding his disciples to practice diligently or not to be negligent, saying apamadena sampadeta. And these were also the last words before the Buddha passed away, before entering Parinibbana. And so in this way, these words became famous as the last words of the Buddha. He said to the monks who were present there, Monks, I declare to you, all conditioned things are of a nature to decay. Strive on diligently. So strive on diligently. I think it is quite remarkable and also significant that the Buddha used these words as his final message. You know, he could have singled out a certain quality which should cultivate it or developed. You know, quality like panya, wisdom, or virya, energy, or maybe karuna, compassion. Or else the Buddha could have stressed the understanding of dependent origination, or he could have reminded the monks there of uh, the Noble Eightfold Path. But no, the Buddha simply said, strive on with diligent, diligence, practice diligently. And why? Probably because, as the Buddha had said, diligence is foremost among all the wholesome qualities. So when diligence is present, then the other wholesome qualities will also come into being. Then they can be developed and they can be brought to perfection. So in short, if we can establish a pamada, diligence, then this will lead eventually to complete liberation, to enlightenment. So as you can see, the way to liberation is actually not such a difficult one. 
not so complicated. Just remember one thing, Appamada, diligence. Don't be negligent, but be careful. So this is all we need to know and all we need to do to be diligent and this can lead us all the way to the final goal. So actually, as simple as it sounds, it's a very powerful and profound teaching. Also, Tulku Organ Rinpoche urged his disciples to be diligent. He was a teacher in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and passed away 20 years ago. So he said to his disciples, please be diligent in practice. In truth, diligence makes the difference between Buddhas and ordinary beings. So, we should be diligent and not negligent or uh, heedless. And so, in, in what regard should we be diligent and not heedless? We should be diligent in regard to cultivate, to develop wholesome qualities, wholesome mental states. Kusala, Kusala Dhamma. And one way of defining Kusala is this. We should be diligent to do what should be done and we should be diligent to avoid what should not be done. So in regard to what should be done and what should not be done. Here, the ethical guidelines, the precepts, they give us the basic frame to guide us to what is wholesome, kusala, what we should do, and what we should avoid, what is unwholesome, akusala. <coughs> So as you know in the precepts, it is said explicitly that we should not kill living beings, that we should not harm living beings. But implicitly this means that we should protect living beings, that we should protect and support their life. And this can be extended to the other precepts. Another way of defining kusala, wholesomeness, is this. So we should not be negligent to perform the wholesome actions of dana, sila and bhavana. 
Dana being the practice of generosity, Sila the practice of virtue, and Bhavana the practice of meditation, which includes both Samatha meditation and Vipassana meditation. And so these three groups, Dana, Sila, and Bhavana, they form the three basic groups of all wholesome or meritorious actions. <coughs> so then, when it is said we should be diligent to cultivate and perform wholesome actions, why should we do this? What's the purpose of doing this? And the Buddha said, Vayadhamma Sankara, or all conditioned things are of the nature to pass away. Which means conditioned things, conditioned phenomena are subject to disappearance. They have the nature of passing away or of decaying or dying or disappearing. So everything conditioned will finally come to an end. And this is true for both mental and physical phenomena. They do all pass away. They are subject to disappearance. So the fact that everything conditioned passes away means that these conditioned things cannot be the base for lasting happiness and peace. They can never be satisfying and fulfilling. But satisfaction, happiness and peace this is basically what we all want, what people want. But if we cannot get this lasting happiness and peace from conditioned phenomena, then we have to look somewhere else. And so that's why we should turn towards practicing, cultivating, wholesome deeds as grouped together in dana, sila and bhavana, generosity, virtue and mental culture or meditation. The world displays its richness in many different forms, many different shapes, many different colors and tastes and textures. The world displays its richness in uncountable ideas and thoughts and memories and fantasies. And all these different things, they boil down to two things. They boil down to 
Nama and Rupa. To mental phenomena, mental processes, mental manifestations, that's Nama and Rupa, physical phenomena, material uh, phenomena. Nama, that's what has the capacity to know. The mind can know things. It cogni <coughs> cognizes um, things. Rupa, however, materiality, physical phenomena, they do not have this capacity to know or to cognize. So on an ultimate level, Nama and Rupa is everything that exists. But as I said, on a conventional level, we find so many different manifestations. For example, among living beings, we have human beings. And the many human beings that exist on this planet, they can be distinguished from each other by names. Peter, Mary, Sandra, or Obama, Turnbull, Putin, or Dalai Lama, Pope Francis I, or Sayadaw Ujanaka. Although there are billions of human beings on this earth and somehow they are different, but they are all human beings. So in this regard, they do not differ from each other. And when we boil down all these many different human beings to an absolute level, we only find Nama and Rupa mental and physical phenomena. And through the practice of Vipassana meditation, we come to see that these mental and physical phenomena are in a constant state of change. They change, they arise, they disappear, they become more intense and they become weaker. And the basic change is that of arising and disappearance because they are conditioned phenomena. So they are subject to arising and disappearing. And that means Vaya Dhamma Sankara. All conditioned phenomena are subject to disappearance. So by now, it's almost or three weeks into this retreat, you have come to see very well in your own experience that these processes in body and mind are constantly changing. Thoughts come and go, an itch appears and then gradually fades away, or a sound disrupts the quietness, and then disappears again, or a pain 
sneaks into the knee, makes itself comfortable into the knee, but eventually then uh, goes again. Or you may have noticed boredom setting in, which then quite quickly disappears when the lunch bell goes off. And so being aware of these many different processes in body and mind, we come to see how fleeting they are and how insubstantial they are. And so we should be careful not to put too much meaning into these insubstantial and fleeting things. Or we should not overestimate the value of this phenomena. For example, when somebody offered Achan Cha a new cup, then Achan Cha already saw this cup as broken. But then he could use it as long as this cup was in one piece. But when one day the cup broke, then uh, Achan Cha was not distressed because from the very start he was aware that this cup would not last forever, that it was subject to disappearance or to break into pieces. So Achan Cha had a very realistic view in regard to these conditioned things. So then, very gracefully, graciously, he would use the cup that the disciple had offered him. And he used it as long as um, it was in one piece. But usually, ordinary people do, don't see things in this way. And immediately they start to put um, meaning in things and they start to overestimate things and people. And bec um, basically everything in this world can become very precious or very valuable for human beings. Even a piece, even an old piece of bone can become a priceless piece for a museum. But also here, the Buddha often reminded us, don't overestimate things, because everything in this world is of the nature to disappear, is of the nature to decay. Everything is fleeting. Everything is basically insubstantial. Or it's like a mother who explains her very young and excited uh, kid 
that the beautiful rainbow in the sky will not last forever, but that it will very soon disintegrate and disappear. I remember uh, so well when I was a kid, I always thought when I was when I saw a rainbow in the sky, if I were only fast enough to run to the place where the rainfall, rainbow was touching the earth, then I could climb up on the rainbow. So people place a lot of value in relationships, in material things, in beauty, wealth, or success, material possessions, because then they make these things the base for their happiness. But as we have seen, also in the talk on the Four Noble Truths, all these things, as a matter in fact, are of the nature of Dukkha because they are subject to arising and disappearance. But people usually do not see these things as dukkha or unsatisfactory or unreliable because they do not really pay attention to these things. They are heedless in regard to the true nature of this conditioned phenomena. They only look very superficially at the new surfboard and then are happy with the fleeting satisfaction that they derive from it. They only see the enticing or the pleasure-promising side of an object without being aware of its flaws. It's like being enticed by the nice icing of a cake and then wholeheartedly taking a bite only to realize that it is made of cardboard. <laughs> so when we are not constantly heedful, when we are not really attentive and diligent, then we are prone to become the victims of the so-called vipalasas. Vipalasa, another Pali word, which means distortions. It means to see things, to see reality in a distorted way. And so, with the vipalasa distorting our view, we get a, complete, a completely wrong impression of the world. <coughs> and these vipalasas can be seen like liars who distort the reality on purpose. Of course, these liars can only distort the reality for those who are heedless, for those who do not pay careful attention. 
And so this distorted view of reality can manifest in four aspects. So what is in reality impermanent is seen as permanent. Second, what is in reality dukkha, unsatisfactory, is seen as satisfactory. Third aspect, what is in reality not-self, is seen as self. And the fourth aspect, what is in reality non-attractive or foul, is seen as beauty, beautiful and attractive. So, under the influence of these distortions, the vipalasas, we get a completely wrong impression of the world. And so, because many people are the victims of these liars, they do not understand the Buddha's teaching, do not understand the teachings of anicca, dukkha, anatta and asubha impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not-self, and non-beauty. So when people hear that things are impermanent, unsatisfactory, not-self, and non-attractive, then they think this is a very pessimistic and depressing view of the world and of life. So these vipalasas, these distortions, they can also be seen as very skilled magicians. I'm sure you have all uh, seen a magician who produces these tricks, you know, um, to see a rabbit emerge from a head, or um, a stone then turns into a bird which flies away. And so what we see as ego or self is like the rabbit created by a magician. And as we know and have come to experience ourselves, there is no absolute control over our life, over our body, our heart-mind. But people really believe that they have this control and they believe that somehow there is this ego or self or soul which is the controller or which is the boss of this being. So there is a self-identification and so then these concepts come up, me and the others, men and women or cats and dogs elephants, 
and tongues. But as I said, the vipalasas, these distortions, can only distort reality for those who do not pay attention, for those who are negligent or heedless. There is quite a funny uh, story um, in regard to these vipalasas uh, from Burma. In Burma, as well as in other Asian countries, people raise ducks in the same way people raise chickens or cows or goats. <coughs> and in the same way as a cowherd needs to watch over a group of cows, so a duck herd needs to uh, watch over a flock of ducks. And so the duck herd would take out the flock of ducks to a lake or uh, to a river where the ducks could spend the day and swimming and eating in the water. And in the late afternoon, the duck herd would drive back the ducks to their home. And so now there was a flock of wild ducks that came daily to a pond in a forest somewhere in the countryside in Burma. And so these wild ducks, they would spend the day on this pond swimming and eating the water plants and insects in the water. And one day it happened that the rather dull-witted man from the neighboring village came to that pond and when he saw this flock of ducks, he exclaimed, Oh, these ducks are beautiful. I wonder to whom they belong. Oh, it would be nice to possess these ducks. And on the other side of the pond, an elderly man was sitting on a rock and he heard the dull-witted man's exclamation and so he thought to himself, well, these ducks, they don't belong anybody because they are wild ducks, but this guy thinks that they are domesticated ducks. So he thinks that they belong to somebody what if I tell this man that they are domesticated ducks and that they belong to me? And so he went over to the dull-witted man and he said, it seems that you take delight in these ducks. Do you want them? Oh yes, that would be very nice. Well, if you really wish, I will sell them to you. Oh yeah, how much for them? Um, let's say I give you a good price, 100 chat per duck. Oh yeah, not too bad. How many ducks are they? Oh well, you count them yourselves. And so then the dull-witted man said, 
Uh, there are altogether 200 ducks. Okay, then you give me 20,000 chat. And so the dull-witted man paid 20,000 chat to the other man, and with that he became the owner of these ducks. At least he thought so, because this dull-witted man did not realize that the other man had uh, told him a lie, that he was not the owner of them, and uh, that these were actually wild ducks, not domesticated ducks. But this dull-witted man, he was now very proud to be the owner of this beautiful flock of ducks. And they had gone to the eastern side of the pond and so the dull-witted man went over there to get hold of them. But because these wild ducks are not used to human beings, so when he came, they went over to the western side of the pond. And the dull-witted man ran after them. But when he came there, they went to the northern side. And when he got there, they went to the southern side. And so this happened for the rest of the afternoon the dull-witted man running after his ducks, never being able to really get hold of them, to take them home. And then by the late afternoon, the ducks had had enough of swimming around in the pond, having a bit more activity than usual. <laughs> but as they did every late afternoon, they took off and flew away. And when the dull-witted man uh, saw that, he became very distressed and said, What are you doing, my ducks? Where are you going, my ducks? But off they went. And so he became very distressed and started to cry over the lo loss of his ducks. Of course, he didn't know that um, these were wild ducks and not domesticated ducks. And um, not knowing that, being attached to them, thinking they were his ducks, he suffered greatly. Well, most, most of the people can be compared to this dull-witted man. This dull-witted man who took the wild ducks to be his ducks. Because likewise, parents regard their children as their children. A husband takes his wife to be his wife, or a daughter takes the father to be her daughter, or a little girl takes the doll to be her doll. But 
actually parents, children, daughters, fathers, dolls, they are all like wild ducks. So with the Vipalasas distorting uh, the people's view, the people do not know and see that the wild ducks are wild ducks, but they take them to be their ducks. And so then people think in these terms of these are mine, they belong to me, whether it, whether it is the ducks or the parents or the doll or whatever. I was not different when I did my kind of first proper meditation retreat um, way back in Thailand in Watswan Mok, the monastery of Ajahn Buddha Dasa. We also did walking meditation and around the Dhamma Hall there was big space with grass but also an area with trees and I had found a path between the trees and so the first day, the second day I went there in the walking meditation periods and did my walking meditation there and then on the third day when I got out of the meditation hall and turned around to go to my walking path <laughs> Somebody else was there. And immediately, how dare you go on my walking path? Haven't you seen for two days I have been walking there? You know, this is my path. On and on. And then it kind of dawned on me how silly it was to make this path my path. I had no reason uh, to really own it. I mean, I didn't even put up a sign. <laughs> this is my path. So coming back to this story of the wild ducks and the dull-witted men. You know, from our point of view, hearing this story, it is so obvious that this dull-witted man tried to control something that was out of the range of his control. And that there was no way that he could claim ownership over these wild ducks. But because this dull-witted man had become the victim of this liar, so he took these ducks to be domesticated ducks and then buying them believed that they uh, belonged to him, that he was the owner. So the Vipalasas, these distortions, can run their show 
because people are negligent, because they are heedless, because they do not really pay attention to these conditioned phenomena. So with the practice of Vipassana meditation, we practice Appamada, or at least we try to be diligent. We try not to be negligent. And so as we try to be diligent and watch and observe and feel these uh, phenomena, these uh, experiences in body and mind, we come to see their real nature. So we come to see their impermanent nature, their unsatisfactory nature. We come to see that there is no absolute control or that we cannot claim ownership over these things in the body and mind. And we come to see that they are not inherently beauty or attractive. So we come to see that these conditioned phenomena are subject to arising and passing away, fleeting, changeable. When I was practicing meditation in Burma under the guidance of Sayadaw Ujjanaka, he reminded us the meditators, time and again, to simply continue, to not give up, to not be negligent, always stressing to simply be mindful in sitting, in walking, and during all the daily activities. Then, so he said, then the Dhamma will take care of the rest. I don't know if you know or have known Pablo Casals, a world-famous cellist. Even when he was already very old, he still practiced on his cello four or five hours every day. And in his own words, he said, I am now over 93 years old, not quite young anymore. Well, at least not as young as when I was 90 years old. But age is something relative. <coughs> if one continues to work and stays open and sensitive for the beauty in the world, then one discovers that aging does not necessarily mean to get old at least not in the conventional sense. Nowadays, I experience many things with greater intensity than before, and life is becoming, becoming even more fascinating. To the question why he still was playing the cello for four to five hours every day, he replied, because I think 
I still make progress. I think that's really beautiful. So as I said, or as the Buddha had said, Abhamada, diligence, is reckoned to be foremost among all the wholesome qualities in the heart-mind. And so, endowed with diligence, it is possible to walk the path to its very end and to become fully liberated. So when Abhamada, diligence, is constantly applied, then happiness and peace are the sure outcome. And I want to close this talk with the words of the Buddha. Whatever should be done by a compassionate teacher out of compassion for his disciples, seeking their welfare, that I have done for you. These are the feet of trees. <clears throat> These are empty huts. Meditate. Do not be heedless. <coughs> Do not have cause to regret it later. This is our instruction to you. Let's sit quietly for a few moments. for your diligent practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.